Hi, everybody. Welcome to a new edition of The Yard Sign. Thank you so much for watching. It's the most important and relevant podcast in politics. Your host, Johnny Torres, as we do every week. Thank you for watching. Lots to talk about uh, today, as there usually is, uh, but uh, not so coronavirus heavy. We've got plenty of other uh, important topics to discuss, including a very special guest uh, that I'm excited to introduce to everybody. Uh, so let's go ahead and run down today's topics. Of course, we can't uh, do a show like this without talking about Ahmad Arbery and uh, the, the arrest that has been made of the two gentlemen who have shot him. And obviously, where does that go next? Uh, aside from the grand jury, what direction will that go? Uh, Michael Flynn, his case also uh, being dropped by the attorney general. And we'll talk about the fallout from that and what does exactly that mean for the FBI. Mail-in ballots, is this uh, a ruse by the Democrats uh, to increase their turnout in the upcoming election, or uh, is, uh, is it genuinely a safety concern uh, due to the coronavirus? Uh, and last but not least, we'll talk about some of the things that are developing in regards to reopening the state of Florida and the country at large in regards to COVID and coronavirus. Uh, let's get the show started by introducing today's panel. With me as always, Jay Kaufman and Anibal Cabrera. What's up, fellas? How's it going, Johnny? And that beautiful lady you see in the uh, the bottom corner here is Jessica Fernandez, state chairwoman of the Florida Federation of Young Republicans. So excited to have uh, not only a great friend, but a great leader on with us today. How are you doing, Jess? Hi, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on the yard sign. It's so nice to be with you, Johnny, Jake, and Anibal. Thank you so much. I'm excited. Well, it only took us a year to do it, right? I mean, <laughs> that's the other thing, which, uh, you know, we, we kind of didn't really make a whole big deal about it, but the yard sign is officially a year old. And uh, so you are, are technically on our anniversary show there, Jess. I feel very honored. You guys are doing such a great <laughs> job. Um, this has really been a, a, a community that's like grown from the ground up. It's very, uh, uh, it's, it's awesome what you guys have built and, and the conversation that we're able to have um, and really kind of deep dive some of these issues that uh, in, in, a, in a way that views our perspective. So I really appreciate the work you guys are doing. Well, and we created this show to give a platform uh, to, again, young conservative voices throughout the country that typically don't get a platform. You know, we're not represented in the media, and we, we are. It's typically not in a favorable light. And so this not only gives us a platform, it gives us a voice and, and a new perspective. I mean, there's a lot of talking heads out there, and I think you know, putting the show together as we have uh, over the past year uh, has allowed people to see, see that even though we are on the same side of the aisle, we don't always agree on things um, and that we all have very differing uh, perspectives and upbringings and even cultural differences that influence uh, our political views. And so yeah, we're usually, to have you on. usually we only get about a sentence or two, maybe if we're lucky in a, in a newspaper or a five second clip in local news or something like that. So it's nice that we have a platform to actually um, dive into all the topics. Yeah, and so again, guys, uh, thank you to all of you for being on the show. And everybody who is watching, if you don't mind going ahead and sharing, liking, commenting on today's episode. And don't forget, you can subscribe to our podcast on Google, Spotify, and Apple, the platforms. Uh, we're going to go ahead and get started with a very large and important uh, situation happening in Georgia when it comes to Ahmad Arbery, uh, a young black man who was uh, murdered, shot, uh, in in a neighborhood up there. And of course, details are still coming out. There's, of course, the video that has gone viral since. And 
just a tragic situation, um, regardless of uh, really what the details might be. Uh, but uh, what what are your guys' first impressions on all of this? Uh, we'll start with you, Jake. Uh, this seems to be uh, maybe, uh, I mean, it seems pretty black and white on the surface, right? Uh, or at least the the what that's what people are wanting us to interpret from the video right yeah definitely i mean so the first time i was aware of what was going on i think like most people was probably sometime last week uh which is weird and unfortunate and kind of like at the root of this issue because most people didn't learn about that this even happened until about two or three months after it actually happened right so the bigger story that's going to start coming out here because obviously like yes you, if you look at the, the black and white facts right you have uh, an, an unarmed black man that was shot in the middle of georgia there's two white guys who you know had take took it upon themselves vigilante justice style um you know they claimed that he was robbing houses and there was no arrest made for about two or three months right like they sat on this case um you know internally in that in that county uh that state attorney they've all they, they held it for a little while right so that what's going to end up being a conversation i think and what the conversation the deeper conversation i'd like to have because there's going to be a million other shows talking to you about, you know, um, black and white injustice, right? They're going to talk about slavery. They're going to talk about, um, it's been called a lynching, all of those other things. And um, not that it isn't those things, but I'll let, you know, the rest of the news take that side of it. Like what I'd like to discuss on this podcast more is that um, the legal argument that's going to end up taking place here of vigilante justice, of people who take it upon themselves to do citizens' arrests, and I think that's kind of what's going to be at the deeper issue here, right? Because the, the laws that were at play that, you know, they very well might be within their legal right to have done what they did um, as, you know, as morally wrong as it actually is. So that's kind of the conversation that I want to have. And I'd like to get your guys' opinions on it because I look at it and I think to myself, you know, this is, this is something that's fundamentally flawed in our country. It's not just, um, you know, maybe a single state or a single county. I'm sure that the laws differ in uh, all across the nation. But to me, it's a, it's a prime example of how we need to probably have reform on our criminal justice laws when it comes to citizens' arrests. And Nebel, I know that, uh, you know, behind the scenes, as we were talking about this week's topic, you mentioned that you were a little hesitant to really bring this uh, topic up, mostly because, again, the details are still coming out. Uh, the investigation is finally underway as they put together a grand jury in the middle of uh, this COVID situation. Uh, really, what, what has been your kind of hesitation to really uh, dive into this topic and, and where do you see things progressing from here? I think my main um, apprehensive when it came to wanting to discuss this topic was in regards to the lack of information that we had. The reason why there was such an upheaval when it came to this particular case, when it came to um, Alberi, was the, the, the video of the chase scene with the truck and someone behind the, another neighbor with the video camera, video, videoing what was happening. So the narrative originally started that this kid, that this gentleman was jogging and he was caught, that he was uh, being chased down by these individuals. And, and that was the narrative in the beginning of the week. Come Friday, you now see there's a seven second video of what was he doing inside of a pre-constructed uh, house um, that was not his, nor was he working on the construction site, a video of him from across the street walking in a neighborhood that was not his, he was not jogging. And so all this information is coming out. He stops in front of the house, looks around, and then jolts into the house 
that was in question, a neighbor called 911. So all this additional details are coming out. And I do not like talking about subjects before all the information is released because people start coming to conclusions. Also, majority of all of us live in the state of Florida. We do not know Georgia laws. We do not know their carry, um, their carry rights, their open carry, their citizens arrest. We don't know. Well, that's that's the problem, though, right? That's but that's, that's not that's problem. not the problem. The reason why, and now I do agree with you, Jake, that it shouldn't have taken ten weeks for this to occur. But the simple fact is now everyone is going to have egg on their face if they're asking for, they're calling for justice, they're calling for them to be put up with first and second degree murders. And just looking at the bare bones of this case and not being a lawyer at all, but just watching other lawyers discuss this case, you're going to have the same problem that occurred with the Zimmerman trial, that occurred with the, the kids at the, at the Supreme Court. That a but, but if somebody's, if somebody's shot... A video, you- a video dictates public opinion, and that is not how we should be... We should not be doing that. We should be waiting for a trial. But Anibal, don't you think that, you know, if somebody's shot dead in the streets, that they probably deserve, you know, somebody in action, an actual arrest being made, right? So that, you know, doesn't take two to three months in a, in a video coming out, a public outrage to do it. I mean, that's, that's what's really at the heart of this because, you know, it's again, you're right. I, I think that when you go back and you look at the laws and you look at what, what they're allowed to do with open carry, what they're allowed to do with citizens arrest, all of those things, they very well might be within their rights. Now, that's a problem. Right. Because if they're able to just gun somebody down the middle of the street and not have any arrest, not any investigation, like, you know, you said, we want to get more details. But you're, there assuming never that there, you're assuming that there was an investigation. You're assuming there wasn't some form of actual process by the by the police there. Well, I think there if there wasn't an arrest, right maybe there wasn't. How are you assuming that? And Jessica, I'll, Jessica, I'll, I'll Jessica go. <laughs> say, um, I probably err more on and Ebo's side, and the caution to take an opinion at this time. Why? Mm-hmm. Because we know, and throughout the, the last few years, the way now that media unravels and the way that information um, gets disseminated, it's the speed to get the information out is yep. valued by media more than the accuracy. So previously, in past times, years ago, um, the journalists had to fact check their work before they, they published and they printed. It was a big deal to have a retraction. So getting it right was more important than speed. And today it's the inverse. The speed is more important than getting it right. And, you know, what we know is that the first impression of a news story ends up being the impression that stays with us. Mm-hmm. And so um, if you all um, are familiar with the work and, and with the musings of the humorist uh, Scott Adams, he's a famous uh, comic strip writer of Dilbert. He co- he's, he's made some really interesting comments in the past, maybe not directly related to this topic, but usually the first take is wrong, especially now in media. And so the facts are a young man is dead. He was shot. We have a video of it. But I we need more context of that. And it doesn't matter if he was casing out a, a, a construction site. It doesn't matter any of that. We need to know what happened in the full context. And I think, Jake, you brought up some really great points, right? Why did it take two months? There's a lot of questions on the process. And so I think citizens that live in the United States deserve and, and were afforded through the Constitution due process. Families and victims' families have the right to justice and to have questions answered. Was there favoritism because of relationships you know was there was there was there some sort of abuse of power in that sense was there hesitation because of the the smallness and the closeness of the community to to 
to um you know to to, to make charges so ultimately um you saw it escalated where it got turned over to the fbi and so not that that give me much confidence but you know <laughs> we, we we see that there has been an inability of for this particular situation to be judged and prosecuted or charged in a normal way and we want to find that out and so before i make a judgment i would like to have more facts yeah I right agree. now and i think the public has the right to be outraged if not for the simple fact that the local um, uh, police uh, office or the state attorney general, whoever was supposed to step in and, and actually see this through, obviously was taking their time in doing so. Mm -hmm. and, and, and there's reason to believe that it may be intentionally. I mean, the father and the son that have been arrested in this murder, um, it's believed to be that the father actually had a law enforcement background. And so again, you know, is there favoritism being played here because of some, because of some of the relationships that there may be in this small town? Again, small town politics is is some of the worst kind because everybody knows each other and uh, and they're not going to treat each other the same way and, they will and, in a city like Tampa or Miami. And Johnny and I I originally saw this I think like Sean King posted it right and it got reshared at some point and I saw it and it you know his his headline on it was that like it was a lynching in 2020 right and at first I was like a lynching I mean that seems like a little extreme as like a, as a headline right and then the more that I I looked at this and kind of, you know, watched the video and all those types of things. And I was like, I, I kind of understand where they're coming from with that narrative. Um, because of the fact that, you know, somebody was killed, and there was basically no investigation done. And it was it was written off if it was not for the public outrage would have just gone on the wayside, really, I, I mean, really want us to choose the words that we're choosing correctly. Because mm -hmm. So yeah, there's no investigation whatsoever. And I'm telling you right now, now that they've released seven seconds of what happened in the house, there's a lot more information, a lot more videos. There's multiple videos of what happened around the house and caused the chase to occur. Because that's what happened. They were trying to make a citizen's arrest, which caused the chase to occur. And I, I understand. Your but ground again, situation that's, and that's a huge problem. Off, that's the, a huge... off the truck. So that's what I'm saying. We need to wait. I do not think this was a, a, a 2020 lynching. I think that is what people are assuming when they just look at I the think, footage. I think that when you when you compare the fact, and again, like I said, originally I thought that that was a little bit harsh and a little strong, like, like kind of clickbait of a headline. But then yeah. again, the more that I, you think about it is that like when you talk about, you know, like the racial history in this country, right, and that there was lynchings and things like that, and they were justified under the law, right? And they were justified under the laws that were written for the localities. And and at the end of the day, like they just took the police's statement, you know, for, for what it was at the scene of the crime and that there was nothing really more that ever happened with it. And then again, because we have video, because we have all of these things, now they're actually looking into it. Now there is actually an arrest made. I mean, the fact that there wasn't an arrest made um, when somebody died and there wasn't no, I mean, you can't say that there really was an investigation just because they, um, you know, wrote a couple memos and then closed the case out on a couple statements. I mean, it's me, that's not really an investigation. So again, I, I think that there's a, a deeper conversation to be had on the citizens arrest laws, because again, they're probably justified under the law. Like I, you probably can make a very good argument that they're justified under the law. Like if he was breaking into a house that they were able to make a citizens arrest, things escalated and they shot him. Right. But that's not necessarily right. And, you know, in, in cases like these, are proof to me that we really need to reform our citizens arrest laws because I think about myself and I go, what if I was walking down the street, right? And two people pulled up in a car. They thought that they saw me walking into a house. They had guns out in their truck and they said, stay put. We're going to put you under citizens arrest because we thought we saw you in a house, right? Whether I did it or not. 
that's a dangerous situation. It's a dangerous situation that escalates. And that's exactly what happened here. So, you know, again, it's, it's obviously the headlines are all going to be racial. Um, you can't ignore that fact, but I want, you know, people that are watching this to put themselves in the, in the shoes of, let's say you're walking down the street and, you know, in the neighborhood at the exact same time, there was a robbery and somebody mistakenly thought you were the one that did it. And then they, they, there's two guys in the back of a truck with guns and said, stop, you know, we're putting you under citizen's arrest. Like that's a dangerous recipe that we have in this country. And that's a, that's a legal thing to do. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be able to, to, to stop crimes in the, in the middle of them, but there's, there's gotta be a way and a protocol of doing it. And it has to involve law enforcement. I think once you, once more of the information is released, more of the video that's released, the 911 call that was made by a neighbor just across the street from the, from the house that was being, that he was looking, that he walked into, mm-hmm. at the, and that the two individuals that we're talking about, the McMichaels, were also right there in the area. So it's not like they were just gunning around looking to see who they can find. No, they saw the individual. They went chasing for the individual, and then that's where you see the video. The premise of someone just jogging across, the, jogging in their neighborhood in Timberlands of all play, of all shoes. I think the neighbor. I think that the narrative is going. I think the narrative is definitely going to change. And I think that there's a lot of, um, you know, incorrect facts being thrown around about the jogging, about all of those things. I think that all of those things can still be true. And then what I'm saying can still be true. I agree. I mean, it was just such a. There was such a, a, a cookie cutter. Um, you know, premise this whole thing. It fit every little narrative perfectly. Um, you know that we've seen, and so that's kind of what made me uncomfortable. Was like it was too perfect. It fit too perfect. And so I don't think that, in my opinion, I don't think that you should be able to arrest somebody. A citizen should be able to arrest anybody because they're trespassing on somebody else's property. That's not your problem. Do you want to call the cops and do you want to get involved in that way? But you have a responsibility when you take out a weapon and you brandish that. Mm you do put yourself at risk from somebody overpowering you or trying to, to take that away from you. So I think you put yourself at risk. I think you put your, the, the, the community at risk if you don't know what you're doing and you're acting out of, out of impulse. One thing is to protect the castle, protect your family in a situation like that. I think another yeah. thing entirely to go and like try to be the hero. Don't be the hero. We, we pay our officers. Yes. They're the hero, okay? That's what they're there for is to protect mm-hmm. you. And you have a gun. You have to protect yourself if you cannot uh, protect. But you should not be able to go and chase the problem. Yeah, as Floridians, we know the example that's happened before. And it's the Zimmerman case. We know it's the same thing there. It's exactly the same thing ha- there. But the thing is, though, not many of the Florida laws were changed after that. Now everyone knew you couldn't do that or you were going to be found. You were going to be prosecuted or at least you had to defend your innocence of it being a situation that you kind of caused the outcome. But remember, the, the media narrative was completely against Zimmerman. They had a beautiful picture of the boy. They had they tried to wipe his, his record clean completely. And in this situation, they're going to try to do the same thing. Me doing that five-second search found three counts of trespassing, two counts of theft of motor vehicle, and a burglary charge on this individual. Now, do I think that should justify what happened? No. Taking it away never be justified. However, at the, at the end of the day, you're going to find that these two individuals are probably going to get, uh, are not going to have to um, stand trial for any, like first or second degree murder. They, they should, they absolutely should be saying, sh- you should be saying, they so should you should have to defend yourself. You no. should have to def- if you kill I somebody, agree. you should I have to defend yourself. I'm not disagreeing with the fact that if you take someone's life, that you should be defending the point that you did. However, at the end of the day, we're going to be wasting a lot of money and, and, court time when they should get dragged down to a misdemeanor and maybe not even any jail time for what they did. 
If anything, it causes it more for the community to understand that they cannot do these kind of actions without having to take their lives at risk also. I think there's a, I think when you jump into your car with a weapon, live, loaded, and you're, you're, you're scouting around, that's a different intention. That's not yep. protecting yourself yep. and others. That's a different intention. That's going to look to see what's going on. And I think that's very inappropriate. It's even especially uh, if, if one of these individuals has a, a prior law enforcement background, they should know better. Yep. And that's, that's kind of the problem, right? Like, why are you doing this? Why do you think that you have the right to do this? And in my opinion, the case of Zimmerman, and I know this is very controversial, I think Zimmerman was completely wrong. He should not have attacked, uh, uh, gotten out of his car and, and created a situation. That, in my opinion, that young man was in fear for his life. And of course, yeah. you have somebody confronting you. Like I said, like I said, just like any, any, anybody that's watching this, like, cause I know we have a lot of the hero types that watch this show, right? That, that we all are gun loving Americans and we all like to think that we're going to be the good guy with the gun. Right. And, and think about it if you're in the opposite situation, right. When somebody comes out and does it, like you're going to, you're going to feel provoked, right. Somebody points a gun at you and says you're under citizen's arrest, whether you did it or not. Right. Like who are they to sit, sit you down and tell you that you have to get in the back of the truck and wait, you know, it's, it's a dangerous situation. It's a recipe for disaster. We're seeing it here. And then there needs to be a real talk about reform of the laws. And unfortunately, you know, the last piece of this story to me is the whole, you know, where does COVID-19 and all of this BS come in about, you know, not being able to, to put together a jury, not being able to, you know, convene and actually talk about it. And then one of the things that's been barely mentioned, what if there was, you know, let's say that this was a situation where there's uh, a lot of unrest in the community now and they wanted to protest the way that things were going down in their community. Well, now they're not allowed to protest because they can't gather in groups of more than 10 people, right? We've officially taken away, you know, some of the, some of the basic, um, you know, First Amendment rights that we have in this country. You know, Mayor de Blasio came out and said that there will be no protests in, in NYC. So when things like this happen, it's very dangerous right now to remember that we're also not allowed to assemble in, if anything happens. Well, again, that's the the slippery slope that we find ourselves in Mm -hmm. is is that especially in these blue states, uh, we find them using it as a way to control the population and to control the citizenry. And that's why people are pushing back because we are losing our rights in this process. And as we have mentioned in previous podcasts, uh, you know, just like after 9-11, any time we have a crisis of this scale, we find ourselves losing more and more of our rights. Uh, and I think if the, if the citizenship doesn't continue to push back in the way that it has through elected officials, through demonstrations, uh, they're going to continue. I mean, again, there are states um, and uh, municipalities trying to say that we're going to be in this till January of next year and that they're going to try to keep everything shut down for another six to nine months. And that's absolutely absurd. And and, and the American people are not going to tolerate it. Again, this isn't Japan. Yeah, we're over it. This isn't China. And people want to move on with their lives. I mean, you know, uh, Mike Rowe, you know, who is uh, from Dirty Jobs and all that, he has a great podcast. And he mentioned in his last podcast that, you know, during World War II, you know, there were people in Europe in the middle of World War II going back to school, going back to work. I mean, knowing that if they were went out there, they could easily have a bomb fall on them at any time, you know. And so the fact that the world has to stop simply because, you know, there there's a, a virus that has broken out, again, goes against everything. That has that a death rate of like for. maybe max 1%, you know, exactly. it's, like it's insanity. But you know the information now. But you know the information now. And to make to play uh, Saturday or next day quarterback is one thing. 
Oh, no, 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 enable, enable. I I started, not we did not know, we did not not know the severity or the unseverity of what it would become. I am oh. not playing armchair quarterback, by the uh, way. <laughs> because, Jessica, sorry. I am not playing armchair quarterback because I have been saying this since day one. We have been on this show week in and week out and re- repeated the same talking points about how dangerous is going to be and what should be done. And it is not armchair quarterback. It is not Monday morning. It is not hindsight. We can, you could pull the receipts on on where we've been right about this all along. But go ahead, Jessica. Jessica, go ahead. That our leaders are having, right, is, is, is making really tough decisions and decisions that are going to live with us for decades uh, with, with incorrect missing information and lying to us, right? We have, people, we have actors that are mis- purposefully misleading us to make our, um, the pain prolonged and, and, and to have it be more widespread. And so, you know, I think that we have to get this country back and up and running, right? We, we cannot be closed down forever. I am not in favor of this, this you know, 100% lockdown or 100% not lockdown, right? We have to have a very nuanced approach to yeah. how we're dealing with, you know, there's, there's going to be, there's going to be, there's an element of risk to life. You know, the only thing that's certain in life, as they say, is death and taxes. And so there is an element of risk. Every time you get into your car, every time you, you go out to eat, you might get food poisoning. Every time, you know, you might get, you might get the uh, uh, airborne flu or, or, or Legionnaire's disease by, by being next to a, a, an old AC. You don't know what is out there. And so we, we cannot expect that the, the risk is zero. And we have to yeah. make plans and procedures and, and have awareness of how to minimize these risks, um, just like we do for every other disease out there. And we have now, to use a same pragmatism in, in this sense. Yep. Now, I apologize, because I kind of took us off, you know, off the topic, you know, here, but to bring it back, I mean, essentially, regardless of, um, of, of whatever Ahmad Arbery was doing in that neighborhood. The simple fact is, is that other than them stopping him and asking him a few questions, they, they had no rights, regardless of what, you know, whatever local law might say or might not say. The truth of the matter is that he was an unarmed man confronted by two armed gentlemen. And, they, and, and that alone uh, should tell you that it was unjustified for them to have shot him in this particular situation. The video shows that there was a struggle, and that's where the shot occurred. I'm not justifying the shot whatsoever. I think. And Abel, if someone points a shotgun at you, for I'm no not reason, denying then... that. Jake, please let me finish. The issue is this: that their laws need to be refined, and we need to figure out what occurred. And the public needs to be aware of this. But at the end of the day, when you see the video and you see that there was a struggle, there was going to be a shot fired. And the two individuals will be prosecuted to see what goes on. But I don't think it's going to be anything above a manslaughter. Well, but to Jessica's point, you know, the fact that they jumped in their pickup truck and hauled butt down to wherever this was taking place. Um, not only that, but the, also the fact that they had their friend in a backup car filming the entire mm-hmm. thing yep. tells me that that they knew that there there that something was about to go down, um, and and they wanted to get it on video because they thought it was going to exonerate them. The guy that shot the video again willingly publicized the video and put it out there because they thought it was going to exonerate the two gentlemen who shot Ahmad Arbery. And uh, I mean, we'll see what what happens in regards to the grand jury. But so far, I think uh, regardless of public opinion, I don't see this going their way. I just want to add also, you know, we know that it, it only shows us part of the picture. And I think that we have to always keep that in mind, right? Like 
we want to trust what we see with our eyes, but what about the angle that we didn't see or the three seconds before that, or, you know, the whole five minutes before. So I, I take the video as a, as a data point, not as a conclusive piece of evidence in my opinion. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, again, Go thank ahead. you so yeah. much for, uh, <laughs> thank you so much. Well, for we're not, this this won't side. be the last episode we talk about it, Johnny, I'm sure. No, <laughs> definitely not. Uh, and so we appreciate you watching the show. Uh, please, again, feel free to hit the share button for us. Uh, leave us some comments uh, so far as what you think on today's topics. Uh, Michael Flynn, the a case that I thought was long gone and uh, well in our history, especially, um, you know, given the fact that so much has happened since then. Uh, has now resurfaced. Uh, Attorney General Barr has decided to drop the case uh, now that uh, there's been the revelation of internal documents of the FBI that show that uh, Flynn was essentially manipulated into a confession. Uh, and so uh, do you guys see this as a 100% clean cut? Um, you know, uh, Flynn is innocent in this situation, or is this more of a favor uh, on behalf of the Justice Department uh, to to favor the base and, and President Trump in this situation? Neither. It's not clear cut. Okay. That's for sure, John. Yeah, I think I think it's I think it's neither. I think this the the Flynn. Once you read the released transcripts and the internal documents that were being done, you obviously see that Flynn was set up to fail. And then you have the allegations that Obama tried himself to set up the incoming uh, national security advisor, which is a huge bomb that is giving, getting no play on the air at the moment. And that is something that once you receive and you read all those documents, there's no way you can justify having this case still open. Now, they use that allegations to get him to, to lie in some form or way so they're able to prosecute him and get him out of that job. But if you go from the, again, this is what they're doing. They're looking at the, why was he investigated to begin with? And that was what is, if, if that is incorrect and illegitimate and illegal, then they cannot uh, miss, uh, they cannot permit anything else to be put in from what he said into the trial. I, I, I think. <laughs> have uh, an FBI agency, the, the top cop in this country that can, with, with impunity, uh, tarnish somebody's with a stroke of a pen for political motive. And I think that the American public is, is disgusted. And, and I think that any people from, it doesn't matter your political party, they're disgusted, right? Because this could happen to anybody. Today it's a Republican, but tomorrow when the other party's in power, it could be the other guy putting. So I think that we have a huge problem. The FBI needs to have a lot of clean, they need a lot of cleanup. It's not going to happen with this current FBI director, I'll tell you that. They need a cold, clean house. It's a, it's, it's a cesspool of, of corruption, of not following the rules. You know, they are not above the law. And I think that that's what this dismissal means for a lot of people. Um, and I think that this needs to be followed up with accountability. Jake, go ahead. Yeah, I, I think we're, we're going to be waiting for some more dominoes to fall, right? I think that there is this consensus on the right that there's going to be the sweeping, um, you know, uh, arrest around this situation, right? That there's, that there's a bunch of Obama-era um, you know, people that are going to go down related to this. I don't think that's the case, to be honest. I don't think I think this is one of those things that's again, like Johnny said, it just keeps lingering back. Like it's been years now. Um, the the public, I think, is very confused unless you've been following it religiously, like some people have. But you know, to even be honest, like 
I haven't been following it religiously the same way that everybody else has, because it's just, uh, it's one of those things that goes back to impeachment that just it's been two or three years. And it's like every couple of weeks, there's a new update, right? So this, this in particular, this case in particular being dropped, I think it's pretty significant, right? Like it's a huge blow to Obama. Like he had even came out and had comments about it, um, about how, you know, it, it's a slap in the face of justice or something along those lines. Um, you know, and again, at the end of the day, we'll we'll see if anybody else ends up going down for for what happened here. But it is it's grave injustice, you know, somewhere. There's there's not going to be a huge uh, breakdown just because the media is not willing it to not wanting it to happen. This has media and their pundits with egg all over their faces. Pulitzer prizes. Uh, articles should be pulled and awards should be pulled because of the lying, and I'm going to say this, the blatant lying that they occurred. Adam Schiff said publicly he saw documentation for the, for the Russia probe. He saw where there was, there was um, collusion. And then when the testimony gets released, no collusion. He says he didn't see anything. These people that lied that were from the Obama era members of the security, Clapper, Rice, Powers, they all went on television on MSNBC and CNN said that they saw evidence, that they saw things that could bring down the president. But then when you see the actual testimony, when they're under oath, they say they saw nothing. These people made millions of dollars selling books of lies. And I feel that that should be happening. But CNN and the other media outlets are not going to do anything to push that past it. Last week, we saw the implosion of the Russiagate and the implosion of Me Too. And you see nothing. Well, and then, you know, from a larger perspective, you know, again, we find ourselves questioning the sanctity, the legitimacy here of the FBI. I mean, Jessica, you know, I think you rightly said, you know, it's a cesspool, right? And, you know, we're talking about generations of, of people that have come through that building. And, and again, uh, I don't think they could care less who's in office because they continually are allowed to get away with whatever it is that they want to get away with because they have the power to do so. Um, you know, do we see any major changes coming to the FBI anytime soon? Or is this just something that it's, it's, it's a monster that's too big to kill at this point? I'm very confident that if President Trump wins re-election, there is a huge chance, probably the only chance that we have in our lifetime to see systemic change happen at the FBI. The FBI trained its sights on a candidate and it failed to take him down, which is the worst thing you, you could ever do to your enemy is not take him out completely. And so Trump's going to come after them if he wins. And, and rightfully so. We deserve a, a functioning, um, honorable FBI. There's good men and women that work mm. in that organization. And you have some power hungry individuals that want to be kingmaker and, and queenmaker. And they decide um, that they're going to target certain individuals. And, and I think we, have, we haven't seen an FBI in a long time that has, has shown honor. I mean, even from the J, days of J. Edgar Hoover, I mean, I actually started writing a list the other day on my iPhone of all the different scandals and mishandlings the FBI has done, okay? Um, we all saw the program now. It's going big time on Netflix, Waco, Richard Jewell, um, Elian Gonzalez. I mean, this is crazy. We need an FBI that's accountable and yeah. one that's, that's going to be going after like terrorists and people that want to do us harm and not, you know, decorated generals. 
Yeah, I, I Jessica, what I what I'll say in in slight defense of you know uh, our institutions a little bit here is that like you said, there are good people. Uh, maybe they're at the bottom. Maybe they're not the people in power. But there are good people that work there. Patriots that that want the best for the country, right? So it's a shame that you know we're we're losing confidence in the FBI, the CIA, like all of those different. Um, organizations but at the end of the day like they're they're like a lot of academic institutions right like they are recruiting out of you know liberal institutions liberal ivy league colleges that are up in the northeast and then they just pull them right into the you know they're they're appointed by a democratic president whatever it may be and that's that's who works in these um in these departments at the end of the day and then again it starts to trickle up and eventually when they're when they reach the top like like we're seeing now um there's bias there's always got to be bias these institutions deserve to fail if they're not, if they don't serve its, a purpose and, and the, the purpose for which they were formed. And so as an American citizen, I want to tear down every institution that doesn't serve us and actually harms America. And at this time, I'm not saying that that's what I want for the FBI, but I think that there needs to be a reckoning. For me to have that feeling again restored that this is a credible institution, we have to see a complete uh, leadership change at the FBI. So, so Jessica. So sad. So just, sorry. I was going to say, so Jessica's just, uh, Jessica's just telling the FBI people watching the show that they can't, they can't, they're, they're, we're not, we're never going to get any play of our show. We're not getting, we're never, never going to reach anybody. Her screen's about to go dark as soon as the FBI yeah. gets a hold of this. What I will say this is though, that it's the media's responsibility to keep these institutions accountable. And the media was in bed with the FBI, making, wanting to have the same thing, bringing down Trump, feeding the, the, the sheep of the, of the country, uh, that Russia was a thing, that Trump has been an agent since 1989, the stupidity. And this wasn't like a, a few years ago saying things. This was like two days ago on CNBC or CNN, uh, yeah, CNN, whatever, that they were talking about how he could be a sleeper agent. So the media has taken such a hit, which is why about, I think, 70% of the U.S. Of the U.S. country believes the media in regards to what their accuracy is. And so now you have, a, you have the loss of faith in, a, in, a, in an institution, the FBI, uh, the loss of faith in media. And so what happens now when you don't trust the media and the media is not reporting on this? I truly believe people need to be taken down and be hot. you have to put them on trial for lying to the American people. And then you have to blast these media companies for allowing them to stay on their payrolls as consultants. Well, the worst part is, you know, that we see happen talking about, you know, the media's credibility, but, and not to go off on that tangent, but it's simply the fact that, you know, because we can now no longer trust our news sources, and I'll say all of our news sources, I mean, you, you have not to scrutinize... <laughs> you got to scrutinize everybody that's out there is that now the average person is actually getting their news and information from Comedy Central and Jimmy Kimmel and Stephen Colbert and like people that have no business, you know, doling out this kind of information. And, you know, sure enough, you know, Jimmy Kimmel was, was out there pushing a doctored video uh, earlier this week. And, uh, you know, is, what repercussions is he going to face for that? None. Because he, he, he will pass it under the guise of comedy or parody, uh, and yet people will go out there and perpetuate whatever nonsense uh, storyline or lie it was that, that he was putting out there. And in, in this case, and not to, again, go into that specific issue, but it was uh, you know, a video of Mike Pence. Um, 
let's go ahead and move on because again, you know, in, in, in this manipulation of the media, manipulation of our government agencies in an effort to uh, control the outcome of an election, um, you know, again, uh, as uh, someone in Obama's team uh, notoriously said, you never let a good crisis go to waste. Uh, you know, we see Democrats pushing incredibly hard. California has already uh, in, uh, enacted that for the upcoming elections, uh, everyone will have the option uh, for mail-in ballots. Uh, and of course, uh, every election cycle, we see uh, that there is uh, um, voter fraud. Uh, and obviously, you know, Democrats like to dismiss, oh, there's no such thing as widespread voter fraud. No, not widespread, but it's these little pockets that come about you know, and, you know, especially Jessica, you know, the, the, you know, being that you're our guest, you know, I mean, how many voter fraud cases do we see come out of South Florida every election cycle, you know, and, uh, and, and you see, you know, in every state, regardless of whether they're blue, they're red, you see these voter fraud cases and, and they do move elections, you know, whether it's 1%, 2% of the vote, but especially in these local vote, local elections, when we're talking about, uh, tax collectors, city council people, county commissioners, you know, that one, 2% of fraudulent voting is swaying these elections. And, uh, and so is this mail-in ballot initiative that's being pushed by Democrats, uh, is that going to be the, let's say, 1% to 3% that Democrats are going to need to win this election? I mean, is that in addition to the one or two percent of illegal aliens that are on their, on their registry? You know, yeah. it, it's just crazy, right? Well, they come, they're, they're not doing this to ensure that every American has the opportunity to vote. They're doing this to try to manipulate the election. And we see this. Thank you for mentioning, you know, my hometown. <laughs> oh, I'm very proud of being the fraud capital of the world in the United States, at least. And, um, Yes, we have, um, in Spanish we call them boleteras, or in English, or I guess it would be ballot harvesters. And these people specialize in going to old people homes, to senior centers, to um, particular neighborhoods that are maybe a little bit more insular because they have, they're gated. And they, they, their trade is to collect ballots, right? This is illegal in the state of Florida, but people do it in the less, right? Because unless you get caught, it doesn't matter. And if you win the election, it doesn't matter. Um, so we, we see this all the time. We see this pretty much every single election cycle in Miami-Dade County and, and in a, in a county that has just a few million people, I mean, can you imagine just the scale with 330 million, uh, people that live in this country that can have the potential have the right to vote. And, um, I, I find it absurd. I think that everybody who, who wants to vote by mail, if, if, if they would like to, they should have that opportunity, but, but to push it on people in, in such a way that is under a false pretense. I, I take issue with that, and 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 we need to fight it really hard because the intentions are are, are not uh, are, are not positive, and we know that they they try to manipulate the elections in every other cycle. So why are we going to give them this additional way to manipulate the votes? But we know at least California, we kind of already know how they're going to vote. So yeah. I, I would agree that every state already has the option to vote by mail. So this isn't a novelty situation when it comes to pushing that the left is trying to do. What they want to do is force everyone to vote by mail, which I agree with Jessica and probably with Jake also, that should not be forced upon anyone to vote. I will say this, though. I think the most, there's two forms of heart of, of fraud when it comes to mailing. It's the wholesale and the retail. And with retail, it's very difficult. It's one at a time. It's very difficult to do that wholesale. 
is is where you manipulate a machine to go in and then you that's how you manipulate the voting when you infect a machine now the most the biggest thing i would agree with with jessica is the ballot harvesting they've done a lot of work in texas to remove that from happening they're fighting the laws to stop that from happening because in texas you used to be able to get paid to harvest and that was such a thing that was happening that was causing problems within their electorate that they were causing issues that they had to pass laws to stop it now it is what I love about our voting system in the United States is that it's so decentralized. So it is very difficult to organize some form of manipulation that will overthrow the, the larger vote when it comes to presidency. And the majority of people that are wanting to manipulate vote, uh, voting tallies are going to go for the larger vote, not the dog walker or the tax collector. And so that's why you see the top ballot is what they're trying to manipulate. And that's why they do the harvesting, because they try to manipulate the voter right then and there to vote and then give them the ballot. Yeah, Anibal, I think that, you know, I have a lot of thoughts on this, right? Because again, like I'm, I'm somebody who absentee ballots, you know, pretty regularly, right? Like I, I like to hope that my vote makes it, you know, um, as, a, as a Palm Beach County, um, you know, oh, resident. Lord. And, and I, it is the one black mark on our county. Um, you know, it, everything else is great, but that's a, it's, it's a problem. It's been a problem uh, my entire life. And it is something that is, you know, it's not to be taken lightly because like you guys said, it's one to 3%. That's all it takes is just one County, one precinct that's, that fumbles it, or they find extra ballots in the back of the car. What happened last, last election around, right? Whatever, whatever crazy things happen. So um, it's, it's not unprecedented to have mail-in ballots. I think that that's obviously still needs to be an option, right? But if you can go into all of these other places right now, uh, we shouldn't even be having this discussion for November, right? Like we should be saying like, you're perfectly capable of going six feet, you know, away from each other and voting in a, a little block in a little, um, in a little precinct, right? Where there may be, most precincts only have a couple hundred, maybe a couple thousand people that go in and out of them. Um, probably less than your average Walmart if, or your average Publix or something like that on a, on a given day. So the fact that we think it's unsafe for people to be able to walk in, um, you know, if we have to set up social distancing, during November, during that day, then, then so be it. Uh, but you know, at the end, of the end of the day, like we shouldn't be forcing people into mail-in ballots. We should absolutely not be having the conversation about um, not having precincts open, right, for people to go in and actually walk in and vote. Well, and I think uh, given the situation, again, with the pushback, seeing that uh, in California, we're seeing a large amount of protesting, a, la a large amount of pushback against, you know, the government entities that are trying to keep businesses closed and make people staying at home. I think that Democrats are starting to fear that in some pockets, you know, their their stronghold may be up for grabs, that they're, they are vulnerable uh, in California. And I think that's exactly why you saw the governor put this uh, into effect, especially following the news, you know, and I'm not saying it's a catalyst for a, a, such a huge decision, but when you see someone as notable uh, uh, having such a large platform like an Elon Musk saying that because of California's policies, yeah. I'm pulling out almost my entire company out of the state. That's Elon going to make Musk. a lot of Democrats uh, take notice. He, I can't wait for him to be the president of Mars because he's going to do such a great job when we get up there. I mean, he knows exactly yeah. what he's doing and <laughs> he knows exactly what he's doing. I mean, like this is, it is uh, capitalism at work and happening on Twitter because this is somebody who has been paying, playing by all the rules, right? Like there are uh, $94,000 average salary of his manufacturing plant um, in all of those different things, like creating, innovating, 
breaking into a new industry that's been impossible to break into for hundreds of years, all of those things. Now, all of a sudden, like California, like this was just today, California uh, lawmakers said, F Elon Musk, right? Like let him walk, right? That's the attitude that they have. That's the same attitude that uh, AOC had when Amazon wanted to come, right? Like, oh, F Jeff Bezos and his millions of jobs that are well-paying, like get him out of New York. I mean, so that's what you end up seeing is you people leaving these, these blue states. And if I was you know, a California resident, I would definitely be looking to vote out Newsom or, you know, any of these guys that, uh, you know, want to force you inside, force you to mail in ballot, then steal your ballot and, you know, <laughs> make it blue anyway. You know, that's, it's, it's, it's a scary time. Uh, and again, like to go back to the mail-in voting side of things, you know, I'm hoping that we, we come to our senses and figure out a way of, of being able to get people into the polls. Um, you know, hopefully four or eight years or 10 years down the line, we're going to put this whole thing on the blockchain and it'll all be decentralized anyway. I know you roll your head over people, but we'll, we'll get there eventually. <laughs> I will well, say this, I'm super excited of where we're going. I'm not scared at all what, what's happening right now. I'm actually really excited that this is energizing the base of people that you would have never thought that they would be the ones to complain. They would be the ones to protest. These are, it's not almost, it's not even ideology. It's, it's more of like income. If you are a higher earning income individual, odds are, you're not going to protest because the, the likelihood is you still have your job and you're still able to work, whereas low-income individuals are the ones suffering the most in here and are protesting for us to open up as quickly as possible. Also, when it comes to mail-in ballots, Republicans are assuming that they're going to be caught in this situation. But as Floridians, we all know that mail-in ballots are, are bread and butter when it comes to election nights. That's what pushes us into a... Are we... Is, is anything our bread and butter, Nebel? Yes, when it comes to mail and... When it comes to the older individuals, they're the ones that vote by mail. And they're the ones that give us a 20, 30% lead in the beginning of the night. And that dwindles when it comes to people that actually vote day of that are normally a little bit more Democrat than it is. And then when it comes to... They're wanting to push it because they want young voters to vote. And they think that giving them a mail-in ballot is going to mo motivate them to vote. Gallup and... No. Did no. those elections and it, it did have, studies Aniba, and showed get, that they wouldn't I, vote. Aniba, when I get my mail in ballot, it is probably the only letter I mail throughout the entire year. And as a millennial, I can speak for most millennials where it's like you maybe mail on average one letter a year, like that you're forced to, like, I don't know, for me, it's usually paying traffic tickets or something along those lines where I have to mail it because government's the only thing that hasn't put it online yet, right? So the fact that people think this is going to make it easier for millennials to vote, like, no, we don't even know how to use a mailbox. I'm not we're arguing that point, it. Jake. I'm actually saying <laughs> Democrats assume that it's going to help them with the millennial vote. And I'm telling you, right, there are no studies that show an uptick in mm -hmm. voting by mail. Actually, it's a downtick. If anything, no. people went from a positive of, I think, 47 to a positive of, of 80 or 58% willing to vote by mail. Jessica. Well, what it is going to do is give the illegal uh, the opportunity to vote. Sorry, go ahead, and, Jessica. Oh, I was just going to say, but, you know, like, to your point, what if you're able to manipulate one, one to 2% of those youth voters that don't usually come out? How do you know if that, you know, how would you know if that was a real vote or not? So I think there's a lot of questions that you bring up that are, that are very valid. And I, I think that we should be suspicious. Again, kind of going back to what you were saying, Johnny, during this time of pandemic, they're just kind of like, oh, this is going to make it easier for you. Mm, I don't know if I trust you. And we can't even protest when there is an election outcry because we're not allowed to. We're not allowed to assemble anymore. Guys, your rights are being taken away. I mean, you can only come on the show and, and start yelling about it every single week. But I mean, as it is, I mean, uh, you know, it's well known that especially assisted living facilities, 
uh, you know, and then people that don't live in a home that's been purchased, you know, renters obviously move a lot. If you're in an assisted living facility, all the mail comes into a central location. Some of those folks aren't even in the right mindset to be able to vote, uh, you know, because of Alzheimer and other illnesses. Uh, and, and so, you know, the horror stories you hear is that, you know, some of the people in these very organizations or in these various rental properties, you know, will take it upon themselves to go ahead and cast that ballot. Yeah, because again, who's going to catch them? They're in the the. the they are. You do catch them. I'm sorry to say this, but you do catch them. You have to sign your ballot, and that ballot is just is based is looked on the signature as your ID is also looked on. I mean, again, other you, than a recount, nobody's checking people, signatures. People other than a are people are checking the same way that people check to make sure that people can get on the ballot because they've got enough signatures in regards to getting on the ballot. People do check, and people do get kicked out. And ballots do get kicked and rejected. That happens every year from writing ballots. The same people who think that they're checking signatures on ballots are the same people who think that signing your receipt at the supermarket actually does something, okay? Nobody's you're checking also assume, You're also assuming that 2% of the vote is being manipulated and fraud. It's, it's so much less than that. And it is less than that, I will say yeah. that. If you, if you listen to one of the supervisor of elections talk, like if we had one on, they'd probably be like screaming at us right now because yes, they're, they would. They would, they were, they're like, we do everything. And if you know, if there's a lot of good counties in this country, right? Like yes. I, uh, you know, Pinellas County, Hillsborough, County, we happen to have a very good supervisor of elections here. Um, They do their job. Sorry, Jessica, it's not, it's it's South Florida. We know things are a little bit different in Broward, but, um, you know. Broward's Broward's a problem too, but. Yeah. But but other places, a and lot probably. of places get this right. Yeah, a lot of places get this right, though. Right? There are there are supervisor elections that there is very, very little instance of voter fraud. It's not something that probably needs to be widespread, but you have to worry about the counties where there is definitely a history. Yes. Um, yes. We happen to be around a lot of them. That's all. But that was my point when I opened the topic, which is that it doesn't have to be widespread. I mean, how many times have we seen somebody get elected to city council or some government seat, you know, by... 50 votes or 100 votes. But that's um, not because people are doing fraud for that particular race. The, 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 most, the thing that's blessed our country the most is decentralized voting, which makes it extremely difficult to do wholesale fraud. And, a lot, and it's, very, it's easy to do retail, but it's almost impossible to affect an election. I, I disagree with you. If it wasn't impossible to affect the election, then there wouldn't be actors trying to hack these systems on a consistent basis. We've seen on, on, on every one of these demonstrations, there's a kids at 15 years old. In 12 seconds, they hack the system, and the results are all, and, and it all looks uh, legit. So I don't believe that. Uh, based on the evidence that we've seen, it's way too easy to manipulate these systems. Um, there is a lot of security uh, But these systems don't talk to each other. That's the beauty of our system, the fact that Hillsborough County... Centralization is the saving grace of our of our system. Number one, yeah. number two, I do think that we have some very good professional uh, supervisor of elections throughout the state of Florida. Very good ones, but that doesn't mean that there aren't bad ones. Not just here in Florida, but in other states. And so, just as we have bad actors in the FBI and in other agencies, they can happen at at that level too. And so, the vigilance is important. And so, okay. I think. I do think that there is more fraud that happens than we than we would like to admit to ourselves. The only real decentralized way of doing this is to put it on the blockchain and I will I will get off my soapbox. <laughs> but but you cannot you cannot hack it, you cannot do any of those things if you attach it yes. to a social security number, if yes. you attach it to a social security number 
and did it right, it would uh, be a lot safer than the way that we're doing it right now, where you have just people like throwing ballots away, where it's, which is very simple. It's very complicated to try and do something um, at a greater scale. I know people don't trust it, but that is that is the direction we probably need to be moving. Um, Democrats aren't going to want that at all because then you have to verify everybody, um, you know, which is a, a whole nother issue. Yeah, well, I mean, to that point, Jake, I mean, if there was ever a time for us to modernize our election process, it would certainly be now, right? Mm -hmm. You know, given, yeah. given this crisis. Um, and so if we're not seeing that kind of motivation from our state or federal government to do it uh, right now in the midst of a pandemic, uh, I mean, it's probably going to be, yeah. I'd say, another 10 or 15 years before uh, I'd say we make any progress in that direction. All yeah, right. we're not, we're not, yeah, we don't have, we don't have enough time to do it this time around. Um, if we were to try and rush it by any means, it would be, it would just be an absolute disaster. And when, in even yeah. four years from now, it would probably still be a disaster. So we're looking a while out. Sorry, Jessica. I'm going to say something and I'm very mad at the rest of Florida for voting that Miami needed to have a supervisor of election. We had our, we have a very good system that works non-political in that aspect. Um, I do think that the fact that the county has been able to help the, the supervisor of election office um, in adding additional machines, adding additional funds needed to upgrade security systems has helped the um, Miami-Dade County. Now, other counties don't have that benefit because the budget is set by the state of Florida instead of at the county. So I think that there are some disadvantages um, that I'm not looking forward to when Miami-Dade County has an elected supervisor of election. All right. Well, uh, again, joining us uh, for today's show is our very special guest, Jessica Fernandez. She's state chairwoman of the Florida Federation of Young Republicans. Anibal Cabrera, Jake Kaufman, and yours truly, Johnny Torres. Thank you so much for watching The Yard Sign. Make sure you share the episode and subscribe to our audio podcast being updated as soon as this show gets posted online. Uh, and uh, that's uh, about as quick as we can get it to you. Um, all you got to do is subscribe at uh, Spotify, uh, Google, Apple Podcasts, uh, if you want to take it with you on the go as we start to kind of normalize things. Uh, and on that topic, COVID updates, we're starting to see parts of the state reopen. And uh, and I'm going to call you out one more time here, Jessica, because thanks to uh, South Florida, Naples has decided to close their beaches because they had too many people coming across Alligator Alley and uh, overwhelming their beaches. Um, but uh, so far, I mean, you know, and I mean, you know, I say that in jest, but I think we're on the right track as a state. Um, you know, salons are going to be opening up here on Monday. Obviously, they're going to be wearing masks and gloves and all that sort of thing. Um, how are you guys feeling about the way things are progressing? Uh, let's start off here in Florida. Jessica, go ahead. You kick us off. Look, I think um, in, in terms of the COVID response, I think the governor has done a, a pretty good job. I think that there has been some hiccups, you know, um, and being able to get the data out of the ALFs and the assisted on the nursing homes and that I think was a was a little bit challenging. Um, on the onset. Um, but I think I appreciated his approach on opening up the rest of the state and, and looking at it as where is the problem? The outbreaks are happening in, in this region. And so we, that region needs to take a little bit of a different approach. And so I really appreciate that it's da data driven, um, that it is, I think, in, in a lot of ways sensible. I think we just want everything to be open already. and We don't want any rules. Um, but I think what would be a mistake would be to have something like what happened in Naples in Miami-Dade County, where you open the beaches, you open it up, and then you have to close it back down. And so I, I don't think that we want to do that. I think that we want to just have it open and, and have it be open. And um, it's going to take personal responsibility to do that. And so we do have to make sure to be covering our faces um, and, and things like that. It's, it's common sense. We should have been doing this beforehand. Uh, I <laughs> 
I'm not wearing a mask. I don't feel it is necessary for me to be able to wear a mask. I feel that if individuals want to take the risk, they are allowed to take the risk. On the EPG call today, we had some people on the call asking for us to, asking the committee to push for more people to be wearing masks when they're going in and out of shopping centers and everything else. I believe individuals should have the choice what they want to do and the risk they are willing to take with them and their families. My, my wife and I chose to self-distance and make sure that we did not uh, and that we took a test before we even hugged, before I even hugged my mom. It took, I waited 50 days to hug my mom and I made sure I took a test before, a few days before, uh, with enough time before Mother's Day so that we would make sure that we wouldn't infect her. And that's because she's going for surgery and they're both over the age of 65 and they have respiratory issues. And that as an individual that is responsible and want to make sure that we don't affect the vulnerable. And again, I know the numbers of fatalities. I understand all that. I also understand that if you're of age of 65 or older, the number is astronomical of those that get infected, those who go to the hospital and those that pass away. And so I make the decision to make sure that they are protected and that they are safe. Everyone needs to be making these decisions on their own, and you have to give Americans and citizens of Florida their due when it comes to their free citizens are allowed to make decisions. Yep, yeah, Nebel, I think you guys hit on the important pieces here, right? The uh, nursing homes really should be our focus, right? That is where if Ron DeSantis has done one thing amazingly, uh, and again, I think his response overall has been great. Like he's been doing a great job of trying to thread the needle of you know, keeping things open and shutting things down to a responsible level, right? Which as opposed to like New York and Governor Cuomo, who everyone seems to want to praise, um, who still hasn't shut down subways, never shut down nursing homes, was sending sick people back to nursing homes. And if you only solely put the effort into nursing homes, which we actually called for on this show a couple months back, um, and that was really the only place you focused, you would see significantly less numbers, which is what you're seeing in Florida, right? Things like the beaches being open, do not affect those things. You know, it is safe out there. It is safe in the water. It is safe in the sand and the sunshine, all of those places. Um, you know, all of those things should be open. Uh, put your focus in places that are really dangerous. Like again, like a nursing home, people over 65. Um, and then let's, let's get everybody back because again, I think everyone wants their hair done. Um, girls want their nails done and it's, it's time we're over. Everybody here is, everybody here is over being quarantined. This was, if everyone remembers, this was supposed to be a two week quarantine. Remember that? Does everyone remember that? Yeah. We're at like six weeks now and they haven't even mentioned it. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, to a point that I'd made oftentimes and Anibal would push back, you know, talking about hair salons and, you know, tattoo shops and barber shops and that sort of thing. Again, all they did was push it back another week and then told them, Hey, put on some masks and gloves and you guys will be all right. That's all they needed to do. That's that to me was common sense. That is something that was already in practice at a lot of restaurants at some of these grocery stores. It's something that, that they could have easily adopted and opened up with the rest of phase one. Um, now they Johnny's pushed it been mad. He hasn't been able to get his. <laughs> That's right. He, I mean, I had to needs, go out here with a pair of scissors and turn this sucker down. I mean, I'll 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 will, to, I will pay for the underground barbershop to go into your house and get you a, a fresh <laughs> desperately needed I was, I was ready to audition for the uh sequel to castaway i mean that's uh, just kind of where i was at it was it was not you're crazy. a minority that won't uh, that won't fly but now, i will say this it'll be up to the businesses themselves on whether they want to have their customers wear masks yep. i don't think it's up to yep. the government to the individual totally when I was speaking before, I should have clarified, that's how I want to do, that's how I want to act so I can feel safe for myself and my family. I don't think that I should be able to tell anybody 
how they should act. And if, and if they feel that they want to take the risk of not wearing a mask, that's on them. I feel more comfortable when I'm walking to the store with a mask and that's my preference. But I've been, I've been using those, those hand sanitizing wipes on the carts for a long time. And every time I fly or before, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> Jessica, you don't, you don't fly. I prevented myself from getting sick from this flu season this, this past year is wiping everything down. And so, you know, I, I stop it. Stop it. Don't be jealous. Um, you know, I, I think, I think the government in a lot of places has gone too far. The curfews, um, you know, telling what businesses can be open. I, it's, enough is enough. You're right. You're absolutely right. They said it was going to be two weeks and I don't even know what day it is. <laughs> I know. And, and this pushes more people to activate and become politically active, listening to what's going on and realizing the ridiculous of some of these governors and how they've gone too far. And again, this only brings, this is red meat to the Republican base and brings a lot of independents understanding that, look, okay, yes, the government is going too far. The fact that they, were, they are upset with Trump not going far enough is mind boggling. When they were calling him a racist, just a few weeks before when he shut down tra uh, air traffic from China. And so that's the idea of understanding where the American psyche is and what they're going to want to do. I'm, I'm more confident now than ever before that there's going to be some form of red wave in counties and districts that you yep. saw them pushing back so far. In California, they were huge demonstrations that you wouldn't expect it in California. And that's bringing the base more energy. And again, who wins national elections? The whoever can bring their base out and energize their people. And Biden can't do any of that. He doesn't even know where he is half the time. Well, I mean, to your point, Anibal, I mean, I never thought that I'd see a demonstration of maybe more than 15 or 20 people in the streets of California waving Trump flags and American yeah. flags. And yet here <laughs> we are with almost daily protests yep. uh, happening, you know, throughout California, where they're pushing back, we're seeing a huge pushback, you know, to the point where in Michigan, her state legislature, uh, you know, the state legislature in Michigan decided to sue the governor, uh, because they felt that she was overstepping her boundaries. And so I yeah. think there's, there's going to be a lot of areas that are going to be purple or toss-ups uh, coming into this November election that we never expected because of this coronavirus. And, you know, to a, a point that Anibal made, I, you know, most people have, on the left, you know, your liberals and, and progressives have been calling uh, Trump an authoritarian, uh, you know, wanting the dictatorship, you know, almost since day one. Here was the perfect opportunity for him to, to take advantage of that. Uh, and, and, and he's on the opposite side and saying, Hey, let's let people, you know, go out, let people open their businesses, yeah. let people, and, and, and they're still unhappy. Now they want him to do the opposite. They want him to be the authoritarian and lock everybody in their houses. And he's not having any of it. And I think that's going to pay off in November. At the end of the day, I have my Lysol and, or I have my cleaner and that's all I need right now. <laughs> Careful, man. That's gold out in the streets right now. I know. I feel like I'm going to get jacked. I want to come to this. All right. Well, thank you again for watching The Yard Sign. Thank you to our special guest, Jessica Fernandez, uh, originating from Miami, Florida, but she's also the state chairwoman of the Florida Federation of Young Republicans. Uh, any last words, Jessica, as we wrap it up for today? I just want to say thank you so much for this opportunity to, to hang out with you guys and, and, and talk about the topics. And, you know, the, the, the Florida Federation of Young Republicans, we're going to be out there digitally. Uh, contacting folks, we're going to be having virtual meetings, and we're going to be innovating, right? Like, just the coronavirus ain't going to stop us. We have an election to win. Um, as much as they'd like to take it from us, we're going to be fighting for, uh, you know, for America. 
for to keep America great. We need to bring back American jobs to uh, from China, um, and that's what we're going to do. So hope, join us, uh, Florida Federation of Young Republicans at FFYR. Awesome. Well, thank you again for joining us. And Ebel, your closing statement. I am looking forward to seeing what the job market is going to look like in the next two or three months. I'm super excited to get people back into their jobs, back at work, creating new jobs, creating new environments for people. It is an opportunity now that the unemployment checks are trying to come in, now that people are getting a little bit more comfortable with the idea of getting back to work. I feel that we all need to do it and just show that the American public and the American economy and the American dream is not dead. Well, to that point, you know, and I think it may be a topic for next week, but we're starting to see more stories come out about people who do not want to get off unemployment. And uh, Jake, I know you've mentioned that, and Aniva, you've mentioned yep. it. You know, people are making more money staying at home right now uh, because of these stimulus packages than they mm -hmm. would be going back to work. And so we have to talk about how that's going to affect the, the economic recovery. All right, Jake, your closing statement. Yeah, um, I will close on uh, to, to back up Jessica, get involved because we have an election to win still. Uh, you're at your state level, at your county level. Um, the Tampa Bay Young Republicans, I still don't think we're going to be able to meet based on the hotel rules that we currently have going on later this month. Um, but next month, we're going to probably be back in full swing, like in person, in meetings. Um, but digitally, there's still a lot you can do. Again, I want to thank all of the Democrats that um, that have, you know, been in local office that have totally butchered their response to this because they have increased the numbers of young Republicans that have gotten to get involved. They are adding more people to the Libertarian Party. They're adding more people to the, the young Republicans in general because of the fact that they are overstepping their boundaries. They are keeping people at home, uh, ruining jobs, ruining the economy, all, uh, you know, in the sake of your safety. But, you know, at the end of the day, people need to be left to make their own decisions. So I'm excited for what is coming up over the next year, what we're going to turn this movement into. And again, we, gotta, we have an election to win, so get yourself involved in some way. Well, and to that note, uh, you know, especially here in Florida, we have a number of congressional races that are up for grabs because of retiring congressmen. Um, uh, and on that note, we're actually coming up on Thursday. We're going to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Byron Donalds, who's running for Congress down in Southwest Florida, speaking of Naples. Um, and uh, he's, he's also a young Republican. He's a state house representative, just a great all-around guy. And so I'm excited to talk to him. So keep an eye out for that interview. Um, but get involved. Um, we absolutely need you and, and think about everything that's transpired, you know, over these uh, two months, because uh, I'm, I, as you guys have been saying, that's going to influence a lot of people's votes. And honestly, as the media's obsession with this coronavirus starts to subside, we're going to start to see more stories about businesses that are not coming back. You know, we heard about Sweet Tomatoes and their corporate uh, company, you know, calling it quits. Uh, we're starting to see a lot of small businesses saying that, hey, we didn't survive this thing and uh, we're going to have to close up shop. And I think that's going to influence a lot of people come November. Um, well, again, on behalf of Anibal, Jessica, Jake, thank you so much for watching. This has been The Yard Sign, the most important and relevant podcast in politics. We'll see you again next Monday night. You all have a great week, and thank you so much for watching. Good night.